four. As you're going to Matthew 24, uh, if you want to look this up later or send it to somebody, the title of today's message is The End of the World. And uh, hopefully you found your way to Matthew 24. If you've been here for a while, maybe you've got a bookmark there. That would be good because guess what's probably next week? Wrong. The second part of Matthew 24. But you were close. You were close. Um, but let's, let's pray before we enter into God's word. O sovereign Lord, Christ Jesus, you are the co-eternal word of the eternal Father. who in all things like us as we are but without sin. You came for the salvation of our race. You who have set forth your holy disciples and apostles to proclaim and to teach the gospel of your kingdom and to heal all disease, all sicknesses among your people. Be pleased now, our Lord. Send forth your light and your truth. Enlighten the eyes of our minds that we may understand your divine oracles. Fit us to become hearers and not only hearers but doers of your word so that we might be fruitful and yield the good fruit for you. And then also through that service, through your salvation, through the gospel of your kingdom, may we be deemed worthy of that kingdom of heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, if you have a copy of God's word and you're in Mark 20, or Matthew 24, uh, it starts out by saying this. Now, this is not going to be up on the screen. This is all part of the introduction. Um, I'm not going to use the clicker today because I don't want to walk over and get it. So good luck. All right. Uh, Jesus left the temple... Uh, and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So this is after Jesus' uh, rebuke and all the stuff from 23, right? And that's why we've got to make sure we keep this in context through the lines as they are laid in Matthew 4. So he's leaving there after all that in 23. His disciples came and they, they point out to him these buildings. Now what you don't know maybe about this is that Herod, although Herod was a jerk, uh, you know, King Herod who killed all the babies and was trying to kill Jesus and, and all those things like that. Like, he, he was a jerk, but well, there's one thing that he was really passionate about, and that was architecture. So he would build up these amazing things. And so one of the things that he was doing when Jesus' day was the temple was still actually under construction. And Herod was putting a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of resources into the building of this temple along with these other surrounding buildings. And so they're pointing to him about this. This, this would be like um, one of us. Uh, who has never been to New York City, going to New York City and then pointing, you know, look at all these amazing structures that is being built here. But in verse 2, but he answers them, you see all these, do you not? And then he says a startling statement. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And you can maybe even imagine the faces of these disciples or, or imagine your face or your thoughts as we're in New York City. And we're looking around, and then somebody were to proclaim that oracle to prophesy to you. You see all these buildings, all these wonderful statues, and all these stuff that they have going on here. All of this is going to be laid waste. Imagine the awe that you might feel. And so the question that they then have 
is very natural. Now, this is going to be called the Olivet Discourse. The reason it's called the Olivet Discourse is because they're sitting on the Mount of Olives here. Um, and it says that he came to him privately, and they asked this question. Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? So really they're asking kind of two different questions here. I want to show you just a quick video, but before we do that, aren't you glad that in Scripture we see people as we are? Now, we often view people as how we hope to be, right? All of us want to be David when he's slinging that stone at Goliath. None of us want to be David when he's lusting over Bathsheba, right? But in Scripture, Scripture doesn't hide who people are. And so these guys ask a question about the future. They ask a question about the future because they want to know what the future holds. Go ahead and play this video. See if you remember this. You have questions. I have the answers. If you had your TV running late at night between 1997 and 2002, you would remember that it was almost impossible not to see a Miss Cleo infomercial. A Jamaican fortune teller with the memorable catchphrase. Call me now for your free tarot reading. Miss Cleo was the face and voice of the Psychic Readers Network in TV commercials and infomercials across the country. But one day, the world found out that the network was a con and that Miss Cleo wasn't even Jamaican, nor was she psychic. This is the story of Miss Cleo and the $1 billion psychic empire. People have been criticized and jabbed at and talked about throughout the ages for having different beliefs. And apparently I am no exception. Although it is a constant challenge, I will continue. I will not allow them to stop me. I will teach as a shaman and help those who seek the knowledge. Now, I don't know about you, but I find extreme irony in that. She wasn't even Jamaican. Um, She was not a psychic. She was a con artist, and she made lots and lots of money doing that. And, by the way, as we understand, Scripture is very clear that we ought not to be dabbling in these things. And so I, this is, let me be very clear. You saw this video. Do not call psychics. Do not mess with tarot cards. That is all spiritualism. Scripture is very clear that that is wrong. In case any of you were in here like, oh, I wonder if he's going to say, there it is. Okay? On the flip side, when I was a kid, I had to call Miss Cleo, man. I could not resist, right? And so, judge me if you will. I was not a Christian then, but I had... Do you remember this? Okay, so I called Miss Cleo. And uh, I, I was not impressed, okay? Uh, because I think, I think even as a, as a young man, maybe 10, 11 years old or something or whatever it was, I think I started with, and she said, who is this? And I was like, you tell me. <laughs> I'm going to see if this is worth my money, Right? But here's the thing. So most people, when they call Cleo, most people, when they think about crystal balls or psychics or tarot cards or any of those things, even the disciples here, right? Most people, they want details about their lives, don't they? They want to know, am I going to get married? Am I going to stay married? Are we going to have children? Uh, They want to know if they're going to be rich, if they're going to get sick. They want to know if they're going to experience some sort of tragedy in the future. They want to know about the intimate details of their life. They don't really want to know about the future. They don't want to talk about the eternal destinies. 
Now, Miss Cleo passed away. Miss Cleo did not know the future when she was here on earth. But her view of what the truth is, of what the future holds, she now knows. In Scripture, I want for, to look at with you that these desires for future detail are ones that the disciples share with us. And by God's good grace, you need not go to a tarot card reader or a psychic or any of those things because he, as our loving father, our big brother, is going to tell us exactly what your future, what the future of the world holds. And as you can see by the title, it's not always roses. And so I want to start with this. Uh, most people go to this and they, they want to know, is there a crisis? And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to confirm that there is a crisis. Remember, they ask, in the context of here, they're asking, he says, you see all these great buildings that you love? Not a single stone is going to be laid on one another. And so they said, well, can you tell us about what's going to happen at the end of the age? And so the first thing he does is he's going to confirm there actually is going to be an end of the age and what is going to happen along with that. So now Nick's going to click through here for us, but it starts in verse 4. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. So I want to start by saying one of the first things he makes sure that they know is that there is going to be counterfeit Christs. There's going to be counterfeit Christs, and he wants to make sure his disciples, and therefore you, beloved, know that you are not to be led astray. So the first thing we need to understand about this coming crisis is that there are going to be fakes and phonies that are going to seek to lead you astray. He says, listen, many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was reading this, that bothers me. And then there's another part in there where it talks about taking away even the elect, if it were possible. And so when we see this, maybe you think yourself, uh, maybe you think yourself a, a, a little bit more intelligent than me. And you look at Miss Cleo and you think to yourself, there's no way I would ever believe that. How could this idiot call her and think that maybe she could be legit? Well, I'm here to tell you there will be somebody that may, in fact, even be able to fool you. And that's why Jesus says at the very beginning, Think about all the things he could have started with. Well, there's going to be this war. Or there's going to be this famine. Or there's going to be this scenario. He starts with the most important. See that no one leads you astray. Then he moves. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. He's also saying that there's going to be conflicting countries. So not only is there counterfeit Christ that might lead you astray, there is actually real physical danger that's going to take place. Now, as we know, if, if you are a Bible scholar or if you've been around church for a while, you've heard of this character called the Antichrist, the opposite of Christ, right? And you understand that this is kind of what he's talking about here, and that is the, the raising up of the Antichrist. And through those things of your study of Revelation, or if you do other readings in Second Thess- Second Thessalonians or um, Daniel and these places that kind of feed our understanding of this text, then you will be able to see that there are these things that he's talking about here. Now also, in your mind, think about where we're at now. Think about where we were. Imagine your great-great-grandfather or your great-grandfather who may have been in World War I. And think about airplanes and bombs. It was not that long ago 
when wars were fought with men lining up in front of each other and just shooting at the other line of men. And nowadays we think how foolish and ridiculous is that. That was modern technology at the time. That was, in fact, the best way to fight at the time. And I, ha- I can't help but think of our, our, our founding fathers of this nation who probably during their time, as the Redcoats are coming, George may have been thinking to himself, is this what Jesus talked about? Is this war, the war that Jesus was talking about before the ushering in? And then each war afterward. Was it not the case that many an American was absolutely positive that Hitler was the Antichrist? And yet here we still are. And so what Jesus says here is in verse 6, but the end is not yet. You see, don't be led astray by all these other things, by all these other understandings. Don't be led astray by the news, by the media. Don't be led astray by your pastor who may preach and prophesy things that aren't in Scripture. Keep your eyes on the Word. Keep your eyes on Christ. There are others that would seek to lead you astray. There are many that are going to actually claim to be the Christ. And then also, you're going to see of these conflicting countries. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. And then we have World War I and World War II. And it appears, if we're uncareful, we're on the cusp of maybe a World War III. And then he moves on. And remember, all of this is uh, the confirmation of crisis. And so the next part, he goes into 7b. He says, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginnings of birth pains. And so we see not only is there counterfeit Christ in conflicting countries, there's catastrophic conditions around the entire globe. And I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. I know our news in America likes to show everything about vaccines and about Biden and about Trump and about whatever. But in other countries, do you understand that there are mudslides because there is water? They're getting feet of water in an afternoon. That there are people starving. Their cattle are literally walking and then dropping over dead because of heat and exhaustion and famine. That there are countries overseas where people are not getting food and there are infant children that are being buried because their mothers cannot feed them. Not to mention then the chaos that we hear. There's volcanoes that are erupting. There's earthquakes that are happening. And he says here, all these are the beginnings of birth pains. If you have had a child, that eliminates half of you. I understand that. But if you have had a child or if you have ever experienced anyone who has had a child or if you've ever been to a science class and you know the science behind having a child, there, does everybody feel included now? There's these things called contractions, right? Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to pretend one. I don't play one on TV. But my understanding of them is that they continue to get more and more intense as the labor is about to happen. And then to the point of the actual delivery where there's an intense then contraction and a pushing and probably a screaming and maybe a yelling or hopefully not a cussing if you're a Christian, right? But all those things and then all of a sudden the baby. And so as we, as 
people who are aware of what's happening in our world continue to look at this, look at the illustration that Jesus gives. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Which then, by logic, means that they're going to continue to increase and get closer and closer and more and more intense until eventually the baby is born which means there will be more and more counterfeit Christs, more and more conflicting countries, more and more catastrophic conditions. Now, I don't really care if you believe in global warming or not. The fact of the matter is, Jesus talks about catastrophic conditions. And it really doesn't matter, and I'm for taking care of the globe, but it doesn't matter how much of your emissions you cut. Catastrophic conditions are going to continue and they are going to worsen. It's because Jesus said that they would. And then he goes on to verse 9. He says, there's going to be chaotic communities. Look at these communities that are just breaking apart. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation as if things weren't bad enough. Then everyone who claims the name of Christ will then be put into tribulation. They're going to put us to death. They will be hated by all nations for his namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. It is going to be people turning their backs on one another. Look around you right now and just understand that even in our small little church, there might be at at this time, if God's word is true, I believe that it is, that even some of the people in this room at this time, should Jesus tarry and we all still be here, some of the people in this room are going to turn away from the faith and turn us into authorities. And instead of thinking poorly of one another, we are called to pray for, love, serve, and lift up one another. Pray for your enemies, right? And pray that I'm wrong. And pray that we're the one church in Allegan and in America that has not a single person turn away, but rather we all suffer together. But it says here across the globe, not just in America, there will be many that will fall away and they will betray one another. And look at this word here. They will even hate one another. That is crazy. But that's the chaos in communities. And he goes on in verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's this idea of this counterfeit Christ again. And then verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And this is this chilling of charitableness towards one another. I don't know about you, but I see this happening. I see on the news on a regular basis fathers and mothers who are snuffing out their children for a boyfriend or girlfriend that they think that they're in love with. I see people walking into schools and opening fire. I see people coming into schools and sexually assaulting one another. I see riots in the streets over simply the color and the amount of melatonin that we have in our skin. I see people hating one another because they come from a country that happened to have a virus leak out of it. I myself have fallen victim to the judgment call that I make about that man who's on the side of the road who says, we'll work for food or please help, God bless. And I think to myself, You probably did something that got you there. Why should I bail you out? That is the chilling because of lawlessness that has increased 
the love of many will grow cold. Beloved, pursue love. Stoke the fire of love in your own hearts. Yes, things are strange in our countries. Things are strange in the world as general, but do not let that allow you to have your love grow cold. Why? Because of verse 13 also. Because, uh, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, all of, all of these things that Jesus has said so far are bleak, are they not? And I still got two other points to get through, which we may not do today. Counterfeit Christs, conflicting countries, catastrophic conditions, chaotic communities, your charity towards others and other people's charities towards you chilling off and becoming cold. All these things are the confirmation of crisis. But, but look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, this good news to all, This news that the king is now here to reign. This news that the king has now taken your sin and your guilt and your shame and now given you a new name and new clothes and a new identity and a new place in his kingdom. That gospel of the kingdom is going to be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all these nations. And not until that is the end going to come. Because he deserves the glory. Because he deserves the praise. Because Jesus is going to have the last word. Because he is the author and the perfecter of our salvation. And at the perfect time, he came the first time. And at the perfect time, he's going to come the second time. It says this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. This gospel that he is here in power, acting out before the eyes of these disciples as he says, now we're going to Jerusalem where they're going to kill me. And so, yes, Jesus confirms a crisis. Absolutely. And we as Christians, we have to understand this, and we, not, we need not shy away from this. There is a crisis coming. Oops, I turned this off. But Jesus says to trust in his authority. In the middle of a storm, he walks out to Peter. While hanging on the cross, he says, truly, I tell you, you will be with me today in paradise. Even at the wedding feast, when they ran out of wine, Jesus says, I have authority even over the molecular structure of water, and I will change it into wine. Even though we can confirm that crisis is coming, and we can understand it in all of its chilling details we can trust in the authority of Christ should we try it in six minutes let's go you guys ready what's the context of this crisis so he says there is a crisis coming what's that going to look like well I'm glad you asks yeah plural this is what he says So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now listen, I'm not preaching about all that today. If you wanted me to, sorry. 
you have a copy of God's Word. Daniel, you can go there. It's from chapter 7 through chapter 12. It's all about the end times. He, he writes it all down. And then it says to shut up the book of Daniel till the end. Um, and I'm dealing with Matthew. So if you'd like to read Daniel, it's right there for you. Uh, I will gladly go through Daniel sometime in the future when I'm wiser and older and have more time to study that. Uh, verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea. So here's, here's the point. So don't totally move past that. But when you see this, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken to the prophet Daniel, then be ready. He's talking about here the flight of the saints. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Why winter? Why the Sabbath? Well, because as Jews, and remember that's who we're writing to here, and so that's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all slightly different because they're writing to different audiences for different purposes of what the author is trying to show us, the gem of who Jesus is from a different vantage point. So that is why, also why he says, let the reader understand, and why he's talking about Daniel, because Matthew is writing this to Jews, and that's part of the context of what's happening here, okay? And so what he's saying here is, why not on the Sabbath? Why not in the winter? Because if you think of winter, roads are slushy and nasty. There's not that much product then, because you're, you're kind of, whittling away at your storehouse that you've you've put up in the fall and now it's winter time and so you're just eating from your storehouse so you don't have that much stuff it's going to be hard to buy at that point because everybody's doing the same thing they've already bought in the fall they've already traded in the fall so they can have their food over the winter time plus the roads are a mess like i just talked about and then not on the sabbath because if you're a good jew you're going to have immense conviction on that day your eyes are going to tell you to flee and yet your heart is going to say, but it's the Sabbath, I'm not supposed to work. And then again, he brings up pregnant women and those who are nursing. Why would he say that this is difficult for the flight of the saints during the context of this crisis? Is because how hard is it, ladies and men, how hard is it to take care of a small little baby on the road? Anybody ever take a road trip for like six hours or more with, a, with an infant with you? That's how we should torture people, right? Like, that beats waterboarding any day, I promise you. Just lock them in a room with a crying toddler and just watch it happen, right? Pull your hair out. Okay. And so the context of this crisis is one of the flight of the saints, massive amounts of people fleeing and leaving, and especially the Jewish people. And so... I think what's going to happen to the Jewish people is the Holocaust is going to look like somebody's birthday party. Because the persecution that's going to come on God's chosen people at this point in time in history is going to make everything pale in comparison. Verse 21. For there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. Look at the fury of the storm that is coming. This is the context of it. Not a single thing has happened ever in the history of the world compared to this. He says, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. 
And then he goes on in verse 22, if you don't, if you don't think that I'm right, that this is going to make the Holocaust look like a birthday party. And I'm using something so intrinsically evil so that we can understand this. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. That is the malicious, vindictive, destructive rage that this abomination of desolation, this Antichrist, is going to, to rain down on everyone and everything that is not in his camp. And because he is the great destroyer, even those who are in his camp, it says if it were not cut short, nobody would have survived. But for whose sake? But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. You see, even in the context of this crisis, even though he has confirmed this crisis, do you see, brother and sister in Christ, that he is also equally confirmed his protection over you, his provision over you, his love for you, his, del- his deliverance of you. And so he goes on to see the folly of those who would then not understand his book in verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so this is the folly of the sinful that are sticking around for this from verse 4. Do you remember how he started? Do not be led astray. Do you think there's a reason that Jesus is saying this twice? He says here, listen, there is going to be someone who is going to come and his power and his authority and his ability, his eloquence, his Charisma is going to be such that not even those who are elect will be safe unless Jesus ordains it to be the case. And so praise God that he has. Now, when I was young, there was a book series called the Left Behind Book Series. And in that book series, the Antichrist was a guy named uh, Nikolai Carpathia or something. If I'm saying that wrong, it's not me. I read the book, right? So maybe you just read it differently. But his name's Nikolai Carpathia, right? And, uh, and so this guy is the Antichrist. And in these book series, he, he, he has this um, miraculous power to communicate to a group of people and tell them what it is that they saw, and then they will go away, and that is what they believe that they have saw. And in this story, this reporter, Buck Williams, he witnesses Carpathia murder somebody in front of everybody and then he explains to this room of individuals that's not what happened what happened is this person took their own life in the book series buck this reporter he sees this happen hears carpathia say this and has to respond in the affirmative like yes i've been brainwashed too when really he hasn't now that's a that's a book series that's somebody's imagination of what happened But look at the text. He says, These false Christs, these false prophets, will arise and perform such great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And then in verse 5, he says, See, I have told you beforehand. Why is he telling you this now? He's telling you this now so that when that happens, you can say, Yeah, that looks awesome. And that is amazing. Therefore, it must be the Antichrist because Jesus already told, the real Jesus already told me. Jesus is being a good parent. 
He's saying, don't touch the stove, because if you do, you're going to burn yourself. I believe, and again, maybe this is a sermon for another day, that it is impossible for those who are truly saved to be fooled because he holds us in the hollow of his hand. But he's telling us ahead of time. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Part of the reason he's talking that way is specifically because of the Jewish audience that he's talking to. That is the reason why they were asking John the Baptist if he was the Christ, because he's springing forward in this wilderness. The idea is we don't know where the Messiah is supposed to come from, which is part of the reason they didn't like Jesus, because they're like, we know exactly where you came from. But they didn't, right? Because he's talking about a heart issue, not just a mind issue. It's a deeper issue. So what he's saying here is in the context of this, it is going to be absolutely horrific. The flight of the saints is going to be necessary. If you want to survive at all, you must run upon seeing this, that the fury of the storm is going to be fantastical, nothing like you've ever seen before, and that the folly of the sinful is they will not heed the words of Christ that he has told them beforehand, and therefore they will be duped by this Antichrist. And so that is why we must preserve in the power of of Christ. Not just trust in his authority, but actually have our hearts and our minds, our souls bound to the word of Christ. It is only by him that we can preserve through this, because if possible, he would even dupe the elect. I'm going to push on. So what's the climax of this crisis? If you've heard this section of Scripture before, then you already know, but put yourself in the position of these disciples for just a minute. Think of what they might be thinking at this point in the narrative. What's the climax of this crisis? It doesn't sound good. What's the end of this going to be? It sounds like ultimate destruction for all of these people. Even he said, hey, if it wasn't cut short, then everybody was going to be destroyed. So how does it end? This is part of the good news of the kingdom, is it not? This is what he says in verse 27. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is the speed of his return. Uh, There's another movie. It's a cartoon. It's called Balto. Have you guys ever seen Balto? It's a Disney cartoon, I think. It's this idea where there's there's a... uh, sled dog, he's like a half wolf, half dog, so he's ostracized, right? Um, but he's fast, he's good, he's smart. Is that Balto? That's right, right? Okay, good. And there's this little girl whose dad is a sled dog racer or something like that. Anyway, long story short, she gets sick. She gets sick. They need medicine, and they need it fast. So who do they pick? They pick Balto. Or he, whatever, watch the movie, Okay. Here's my point. I digress. My point is, sometimes the only way to heal things is safety, right? Uh, For instance, heart attack. You want to get to the hospital right away. Stroke. You want to get to the hospital right away. You want to have things taken care of right away. It's called triage. You have to decide who to deal with in what time frame so that you help the most people. Jesus is going to come to your rescue very speedily. Sorry my illustration broke down. That's where I'm going at with this. So he will come to your aid 
fast, as fast as lightning, or as fast as the blink of an eye, as we see in other scriptures. That's pretty quick. And so, as we look at the climax of the crisis, the climax of the crisis, we see already take a turn. It's not that Jesus is defeated. It is that Jesus is victorious. He's going to come with the speed of lightning. The next is, is that wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. There is the slaughter at his return. So it's the speed of his return and then the slaughter of his return. Who is he slaughtering at his return? Not his beloved bride. Those who oppose him. Those who are waging war against his bride. I tell my wife sometimes, um, we'll move on for the sake of time. You guys, I'll just say it anyway, because I love her. There's only a few things in this world that can make me punch a man straight in the face. And it's when somebody messes with my bride. There, we'll leave it at that. No more detail necessary. Yes, that's right. Amen, that's right. Yes, you guys, now, let that be a lesson to all of you. No, I'm just, (laughs) so, uh, verse 29, right? So what's the signs of his return? Immediately, again, with speed, with clarity, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, it will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. I don't know if that means a flaming cross. It doesn't matter. What matters is, Everyone's going to see it. How do I know? Because of what he says. So not only the sign of his return, but the sound of his return is both going to be the audible sound, I believe, of a trumpet blast followed by a very audible worldwide moan of all of the people who then look up and see in the sky and as their knees begin to knock, they realize we are wrong and that this shell of a man is not Christ. He is the Antichrist, and we have been serving the wrong one, and instead, that, that is our God. Because as he come the first time in a lowly manger in a humble estate, the second time he comes, he will have a flaming sword. He will be looking as burnished bronze. He will be absolutely, clearly, without a doubt, the Savior and the God of the entire universe. There will not be a eye that will turn upon him and have any doubt, any wonder, any lack of clarity. All of those things, as they gaze upon him, they will say, my Lord and my God. And then he goes on, he says, he will send his angels out and he will gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. From one end of heaven to the other. And then he leaves us with this lesson. And I believe that this is a lesson of hope and of peace at the surety of his return. He says, so for example, then look at this fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and it puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. He says, truly, I say to you that this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth uh, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so as Christians, as Christians, we can long for the coming of Christ. Yes, there is a crisis. He has confirmed it. Yes, the context of that crisis is going to be absolutely horrific. And yet, if we are his bride, 
the birth pains. The birth pains only deliver the child. And that is why he uses this as an illustration. As we see these things, let us not be fearful. Let us not fret or have anxiety. As the boats back up in the harbors, as inflation soars, as nation wars against nation, as people begin to betray and turn off their ears to the gospel, as friends and family undergo and as we undergo tribulation and persecution, as we see volcanoes erupt, the earth be shaken, floodwaters rise, Let us say, as Isaiah 52, 7 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so as we look at this text, maybe this is the end of the world as we know it. But if you know Christ, then you can sing right alongside R.E.M. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And neither will